What kind of legacy do you want to leave? It's a big question. Maybe you've been saving up your, your money. You've got it banked away. Maybe you've got some investments or garage full of possessions, a beautiful home. And you've written in your will that you want your kids to have what you've earned so that they can have something better in their life than what you started out with. Maybe it's your ambition that... Uh, that that family tradition that's been carried on to you and you've taken such great care of it will be handed down and taken care of by the next generation. Could have started a family business. You've put so much sweat and energy and commitment and you've put a lot of risk into the business. There's a lot of your money sitting there. And you just want to see this thing outlast your life. You want your kids, your grandkids to look back and say, wow, grandpa really knew what he was doing when he started this thing. This is a gold mine. I think for most of us in this room, those who consider themselves followers of Jesus, when it comes right down to it and you kind of examine that question, what do you want your legacy to be? I think for the most part, we'd put all that assessment of stuff behind us, like the investments and, and the wealth maybe that we've generated and the possessions. And we'd say, while that might have some influence, there's nothing more important to me than leaving a spiritual legacy. Like, I'd rather have my kids know who Christ is and, and give their life over to Him than to, than to have a bunch of money. Like I'd rather have my children be a follower of Jesus than to carry on some kind of crazy family tradition? I think for the most part, when it boils down to it, and we get really serious about it, the greatest legacy that we want to give to the next generation, those who are in the faith, is the faith. (laughs) We want them to have the gospel resting in their life, planted as a seed, ready to give growth to do something wonderful and amazing. You know, studying this sermon this week, past week, it it dawned on me. Are you ready for this? Here's what it dawned on me. I'm not always going to be preaching at Bethany Christian Church. Maybe one day I'll die, hopefully in the pulpit. It'll be dramatic. News will take care of it. They'll be here. You guys can have a great story to tell. I'm having a heart attack or something like that. Maybe maybe it's it's, uh, just a matter of retirement. Just... My, my voice is nothing more but just extends to the walls and it's no longer being received. Maybe, maybe the elders just say, it's time for new leadership and, and Matt, thank you, but we've got to find new blood. I, I don't know whatever it might be, but I know this. In a hundred years from now, I'm not going to be here. So one of the things I've tried to do is to set up ministry and, and to set up our leadership so that A hundred years from now, I may not be here, but this place will be. And it will be a beacon of hope like like it is now and and we hope continues to be that there'll be greater leaders in a hundred years from now than you see today in the church at Bethany. That there'll be greater preaching and greater ministries and and that we, we really obtained this dream, this goal to be the best church for our community rather than just trying to be the best church in our community. There's a solid difference there to be the church for your community rather than being the best in your community. 
And, and that's why I think in my heart it's so important that we just start thinking about leadership, start thinking about what we want to do with the gospel and start thinking about how we have influence in, in the puddle that we call our life. What ripples, what ripples can we make within it in the time that we're given so that it begins to stretch out and influence other people? That's what leadership is. It's influence of other people. And one of the things I've come to grips with is that leaders just don't create followers. Good leaders create more leaders. And that's what I think is important about this leadership development that we're, we're offering everybody to come and connect to. If you aspire to do something more than what you're doing now in the church or maybe in your place of business, we want to teach some practical leadership principles that Christ teaches so that we can apply in our workplace, so that we can apply in the church. And maybe you're, you're male, female, it doesn't matter if you're qualified, unqualified, there's got to be some steps that we can take to say, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. I want to have greater influence today than I had yesterday. But maybe you're someone that really you're aspiring. You heard last week's sermon, you're aspiring to be an elder or a deacon here. And, and, and I'm saying you, you get into this development course and you're saying, yeah, but I, I don't think I have it. It doesn't matter. If God's calling you to get into this thing, you get into this thing. Spend 24 months with me. Can you think of anything more fun than that? 24 months with me? My wife's like, oh, I've been, that's 15 years now. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to go for another 24 months with him. Yeah. But we're asking that, that you, you find yourself in this course and that once a month we can meet together, we can talk about Christ's leadership principles and how we can have a greater influence for Christ in our community. That's what it's about. And that you just walk this course with us and we'll hold each other accountable to God's written word. It sounds good to me. So if that interests you, just mark the back of your communication card, stick it in the offering, and then over the next couple of weeks we'll get back to you about what we're doing and what it looks like and what the plan is on all this. Because um, I feel strongly about this. Because I want this place to outlive me. That's why. Because I know that probably never, ever again will this opportunity exist to leave such an influence or a legacy in a community like what you all are doing right now. The Apostle Paul was faced with this. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul is faced with. Like, he is thinking, what, how, what's, what's going to become of my life? And so he decides to invest himself in a young man named Timothy. And we start a new book today, not 1 Timothy. We move into 2 Timothy. It's a second letter. About four years have come and gone between the two letters, and some things have significantly changed for the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. It's a little letter. It's his last letter that he ever wrote in, uh, before his death. And so what you see here is the last will and testament of an older man that knows life is fleeting. And there's some things that have changed in his life. It's coming to a close. For example, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Listen how the Apostle Paul explains his condition. I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. He's in the dungeons of Rome now. He's no longer a free man. He's not under house arrest. He is now in the dank, dark dungeons of Rome. Nero, the emperor, has put him there because of the great fire of Rome, which he, he the, the emperor, had claimed that Christians had set, but now history has discovered Nero himself set it, and he blamed it on the Christians. And Christians are scared now. They're scared to, to live out their faith in public during this time because 
They are being thrown to wild animals for entertainment. And, and the Roman public is watching Christians being torn limb from limb. And they're cheering it on. There's mass executions of Christians being burned at the stake all around Rome. The theory was, you burn down Rome, we're going to burn you down. And everyone celebrated the death of the Christians. But the Apostle Paul, such a, such a popular figure of the time, they didn't know what to do with him. Kind of like John the Baptist, they didn't know what to do with him. So they couldn't kill him, so they threw him in the dungeons until things subsided and Paul just kind of disappeared into the darkness and people forgot about him. And Paul knows his ministry and his influence are just not what they used to be anymore. He's in prison and he can't do the things he once used to do. He's been forgotten by the people that, that were once around him. I mean, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. And then he lists a couple guys that have just kind of flew the coop on him. And he says, look, I'm no longer wanted around. He's older in years. He's an embarrassment. He's in jail. And people are saying, I'm, I'm just, I once knew that guy, but we're not friends anymore. Look at chapter 4 of this letter. Look at verse 16 he says at my first defense which is a term for at my first trial like everybody wants their friends and loved ones there if they go to court paul says no one came to my support but everyone deserted me and here's this guy who's a staple of the faith and no one wants him around anymore and i love paul's attitude may it not be held against them Wow, what an act and a, and a statement of forgiveness. Look at verse 10 of that same chapter, chapter 4. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and he has gone to Thessalonica. Like he's just taken off. He no longer wants to be a part of the faith either. So he's deserted Paul and he's deserted, he's deserted Christ. Christ has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. I've got one guy out of the thousands of friends that I once had who's standing by my side. They're all either ashamed of me or they're too busy taking care of their own ministries and doing their own life. Paul says, look, the influence I once had is gone. So he has one last chance to leave a legacy and that's through Timothy. That's it. So he's speaking into Timothy's life and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know some things about me and I want you to take up the cause. And so I'm going to fan into flame this, this legacy so that you'll, you'll build something on my shoulders. You'll continue on this work. First Timothy chapter one, verse three. Let's look at our text together. Here's what Paul says to him. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7. Let's look at verse 7 of first Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1. I'm sorry. For the Spirit of God gave, gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his, his prisoner. So Paul says, look, I, I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I want you to be courageous. I want you to be bold. If you look at verse 5. He says, I'm reminded about the faith that's been shared with your grandmother and with your mother and now poured out into you. Look at verse 6. He's going to fan these things into flame. And then he talks about God giving us a spirit of power. 
not a spirit of fear. So here's one of the legacies that I want to leave as a Christian. I will courageously follow Christ. I think that's a pretty good legacy. So the people look at me and said, Matt boldly stood for Christ. If he stood for Christ, so could I. We have to remember that Paul and Timothy journeyed and traveled together. And oftentimes, Timothy watched how Paul lived his life. And as Paul preached, he got persecuted. And I'm sure there were times when he had to encourage Timothy, you know, when you take a stand, you might get hit over the head. When you take a stand, you might lose your character to those people. When you take a stand for Christ, you just might not be liked. And I'm sure Timothy was like, yeah, I don't know if I want that for my life. I don't know if I want to be so bold, Paul, as you are. And so, so Paul is fanning the flame that is there and saying, take a stand, be courageous. Because isn't it true, it's so hard to be courageous in this day and age. There's so many things to be fearful of in this day and age. As Christians, I think we have to recognize that there is a cultural revolution that is happening in our country that is godless and is self-seeking. And to stand up in a culture that is swaying differently than what God's word says is sometimes a challenge. It's a very difficult thing to do. You know, it's easy to stand with the crowd. It takes courage to stand alone, doesn't it? Here's how Jesus kind of like had us put on the brakes before we just kind of quickly accepted him as savior and lord of our life he says everyone will hate you because of me like are you ready for that because if you live out the teachings of christ if you are bold in preaching jesus everyone will hate you because of me jesus said so it's 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 tough people are not going to think wow this is the greatest person alive thank you for telling me about sin and especially the sin in my life no one says that Bob Russell tells the story of a time that he was interviewed by a local Louisville radio station, and they had just built this huge building, Southeast Christian Church, nearly a million square feet of ministry space. It's just a huge building, the talk of the town, and the radio station said, we want to talk to you about the new building, the ministries that are going to be involved in it, and we just want to talk to you about how you're making an impact in the Louisville area. So, of course, he was quick to get on into the studio and get on air. And when he arrived, he recognized that the DJ for the morning was a very outspoken lesbian on the radio station. And she didn't want to talk about the church. She didn't want to talk about ministry. She just wanted to talk about why does the church and God hate homosexuality? Bob said, I felt ambushed that morning. And there I was on live radio What was I to say? He said, the first thoughts were, I wanted just to hit back and I wanted to tell her why that lifestyle was ungodly and I wanted just to put some of my opinion into it and really make a sting on the radio that day. But he said, the Holy Spirit came over me and I realized, keep your mouth shut, Bob, and just speak God to them. Speak Bible to them. And so he said, I didn't make it my problem. I placed the blame right on God where it belonged. Why is homosexuality a sin? Well, because God said it was, Bob said. Not because the church says it is, but because, and then he starts to read the first Corinthians and he says, God desires for men and women to have certain roles and he desires us to love one another, not to share each other of the same gender and the woman just didn't know what to say she was not upset at bob anymore she was upset at god and 
Now she had a problem with God. And Bob stood there in obedience. And he took a stand, a very unpopular stand at the time, with hundreds of thousands who were listening and making snap decisions about the church and snap decisions about who God is. And he just threw it out there. Here's what God's Word says. Here's what is right, even though the culture is very, very wrong. Friends, sometimes we're just going to have to take a stand for Jesus Christ and do something that's courageous. And I'll tell you what, some of you are in some work environments right now. It's not easy to do that. It's like such a challenge for you just to, just to be able to live the character of Christ, yet alone speak about your faith openly to somebody. Some of you are in some families right now where your friends or families, they don't want to hear about how God has transformed your life. They just consider this a phase in you and that it's going to pass and you're going to get back to being the old person you used to be. And you're, you know that's not going to happen because Christ has radically changed you. And they don't, they don't want anything to do with you anymore. And you're feeling the sting of what it means to stand up for Christ. Friends, you never know how, how your courage is going to change someone's life. I like how Jesus keeps on talking about Mark 13, 13. says, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You stand firm in this. God's going to see you through it. And you're going, yeah, but I don't have the right words to say to my coworkers, to my friends, to my family. Here's what Jesus says about having the right words. He said, don't worry about how you defend yourself or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Like we need to just trust in God that he gives us the confidence and the right words and temperament on how to speak out our faith to other people, even in very hostile environments. Friends, I'm telling you, the legacy you could leave at your workplace, the legacy you could leave in your family is to be a courageous follower of Jesus Christ. Here's another legacy Paul emphasizes in that I will strive to live the life Christ has called me to. Have you ever met those people? They just, they're so certain on what they should do in life. It's not an arrogancy that they've got about them. It's just they, they know there's a, a positiveness about this is what they ought to be doing and they're doing it well. That's, that's the apostle Paul was one of those guys. He knew he was to preach the gospel and secondarily, he knew he was to suffer and persevere through that suffering that the gospel brought into his life. But I think there's a lot of people that just don't know what to do. A lot of you who are followers of Christ, you're just uncertain about what God has called you to. So Paul lays it out generically for Timothy and for us. And he says, look, if you don't know what exactly you're to do, here's the legacy you could leave. Look with me in verse 9 of chapter 2, or of 2 Timothy 1. There's a lot of numbers I'm speaking here. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. It says, he has saved us and has called us to a holy life. What has he called us to? What has he called us to? A holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of its own purpose and grace. That word holy there is the word saint. Does anybody in this room feel like a saint? Because Paul says, he has called us to be saints. To be saints. That's a legacy that lives beyond yourself, right? So the Apostle Paul, he is considered a saint in some faith groups, that he is this pinnacle of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But do you know how Paul described himself and saw himself? He looked in the mirror and he said, oh, there's the chief of all 
sinners, meaning there's the biggest sinner that's ever walked on the face of the earth. I don't think Paul ever thought one day he would live up to saint status. And maybe you feel that way about your own life. There's no way that if someone examined your life, you'd ever live up to saint saint status. And you're right, we're not perfect people. We'll never be perfect people. Everybody in this room needs the grace of Jesus Christ, don't we? We need that. But the one thing we ought to try for is to strive to model in perfection Jesus Christ. Strive to model who Jesus Christ is. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. Even though he had his hang-ups, he knew Jesus was hung up for his hang-ups. And so he accepted the grace that God afforded him. And so when there was sin in his life, he didn't let it hold him back. He just continued to move forward in his faith. He didn't let it push himself away from God. He decided that he was going to love God all the more and revel in the grace. And friends, maybe you're not doing that. Maybe you allow your sin to keep you away from God. Well, you should be looking at the grace and saying, that's reason for me to draw closer to who God is because he loves me and has accepted me and has forgiven me. And no, the day of perfection will never come in this world. But you know when the day of perfection comes? Philippians tells us about it. Philippians says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. So look, there's a good work going on in you. Doesn't matter if you have one sin or a million sins. Jesus Christ has saved you. There's a good work going on in you. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One day, you will stand in complete perfection. Not as you are now, but as you will be when you come face to face with Christ. Then the work will be done. I heard the old story about a a sculptor that was commissioned to build... uh, a marble statue of a lion. And he was just chipping away big chunks of marble. And one of the guys who was onlooking just said to the artist, now, how do you know How do you know what to chip away? And the sculptor replied back, well, I chip away everything that's not a lion. You know what God's doing in our life? He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's chipping away everything that is not of him in your life. And you just have to yield to the spirit of God and continue to walk by faith. Strive to live a holy life. Here's the third way we can leave a legacy. I will guard the faith that's been entrusted to me. Now this is really what Paul wants. He wants the preaching of the gospel to continue. Second Timothy 1, look at uh, verse 12, about the second sentence into it. The word yet begins it. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know who I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Verse 13. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, this is Paul's primary plea to Timothy. Like, if there could be any legacy that could be left, Paul is saying, may it be the good news of Jesus. If you just 
like kind of move back to verses 8, 9, and following, you get to find out what the good news of Jesus is, the gospel. Paul says, it's the power of God that saves us. You know what the good news is? The good news is that God decided not to leave us in our sin. That through Jesus Christ, you and I, anyone can have a relationship with God unhindered by the mistakes of our past, by the sins that we've left in our wake. And we can come to Christ and we can be changed and transformed and renewed in Christ. That you don't have to have your past define who you are anymore. That you can now have a solid assurance that you're with Christ forever. And when the death of your life comes, when the body finally fades and the soul continues on, you have the assurance that that next life is in heaven with our Father who is God. That's pretty good news. And Paul says, I want that news to continue. But there are some people in the faith that don't want that to happen. And there's some external forces that don't want that message to be shared. Anytime you preach about Jesus, there's always going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition against the gospel. There's going to be opposition to the people that are preaching and declaring the gospel. It seems like recently there's been quite a bit of opposition. In the national news three weeks ago, you heard the tragic attack on Orlando. 49 dead, 53 wounded. Radical Islamic teachings helped to cause that. But some corrosive politicians have glanced over it. And just last week in some tweets and some Facebook posts and on some national news shows, they came in and some politicians said, really, it's the Christian right who is to blame. That's guys like you and me, the Christians. You know, a group of ACLU lawyers got together last week and they signed a pledge saying that the attacks on Orlando is the fault of Christian teaching? How about this time last year? As I stood in the pulpit after the Supreme Court had said that same-sex marriage is to be legalized. And we said that the government has now just given a nod to okaying sin. And we stood up and we said, here's what the Bible says, so here's what God says. And we blamed it on God, but we took a stand and we were labeled intolerant, unloving, and haters. Now you know if you've been around this church long enough, and you've been in the culture or have discovered the ethos of it, that you know we want no one to go to hell and we want all men to come to repentance. And if we, if we see sin, we want to point it out, not in a harsh manner, but a loving manner, so that men will come back and discover a Savior and repent and be saved. But that didn't matter to some. When we stood up to guard the gospel, there was a force that came back to oppose it. And you know what? If we decide to just change with societal morality rather than to what God has written in His Scriptures, my friends, we're going to bow to everything that comes around and we're not going to leave anything to the next generation to stand up for. And we've been entrusted with our faith 
Someone has said that our faith or Christianity is one generation away from becoming extinct. You see, if all sin becomes acceptable by society, then Jesus Christ isn't really needed anymore. Because society is led to believe that everything they're doing is correct. But not everything is correct. And Christ comes and he gently nudges us to say, you can have change and this is not what God wants for your life. You can be radically restored to who you are intended to be. And that's the gospel. And there's an external attack. But there's also some internal attacks in the gospel. Maybe even some of them happen right here amongst you. Like when we take pot shots at people in the church and we maybe gossip or run them down behind their back rather than lifting up our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe for you, you neglect to put into practice the words that the Bible teach. And so you just live your life the way you want to live it, and yet you declare yourself to be a Christian, but yet what it's really doing is giving more credence to what the world says about who we are, and that is hypocrites. Maybe for some of you in this room, you you just... You just are so concerned about the music style or the songs that we do or the way we're building buildings or whatever it is, and that becomes the topic of it. And you just want leadership to focus on that rather than focusing on spiritually providing for this place and uplifting Christ. You see, there are some internal attacks that can take place as well. And we have to remember that we're called to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has the power to save all mankind and the power of the gospel is the only remedy for renewing a society perhaps one of uh, the greatest honors of any soldier in the army is to be selected to stand guard at the tomb of the unknown soldiers in the arlington national cemetery the precision of what they call walking the mat and the complete dedication to their duty has put the centennial in a class all their own. You know that tomb is guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That there has been a guard on duty at that tomb every single minute of the day since 1937. But in 2003, for the first time in its history, the Centennials were asked by the Department of Defense that they had a choice to seek shelter or to stay on guard when Hurricane Isabel struck course they stuck to their duty and guarded the tomb again in 2011 when hurricane irene stormed in they were given the chance to abandon their posts but they didn't leave during one of those storms sergeant first class frederick geary was nearly hit by a tree when it collapsed as he stood guard he was later quoted as saying we have no intention of doing anything but our duty It's the highest honor, guarding the tomb. You know, we've been trusted as Christians with a high honor, guarding the gospel. It's a gospel that stands vigil over an empty tomb that symbolizes that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And it's the gospel that has the power to save men and to save women from who they are to whom God has always desired them to be. 
to pull them out of a pit of despair and to keep them from falling back into that pit. Guard the gospel with your life is Paul's plea. Because even when the winds of change threaten or disaster storms cause others to fade away, guard it. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That's Paul's plea. Fan into flame a legacy of honoring God and exalting Jesus Christ.